welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. I have to be very strict here, I think. Quiet, please. Howdy all, my name is Marco. Welcome to this meeting of Sexologics Anonymous. My name is Marco. I'm from Amsterdam, the Netherlands. And I will be your facilitator of this session. I'm also joined by... Troy H. from San Antonio. John P., Chicago. Okay, very good. The name of this meeting is Laughing in Recovery. So let's see if we can make some fun, have some fun here. So please take a moment to silence all electronic devices. If you need to use yours during this meeting, please take it outside. We ask that you not make any personal recording of this meeting or any meeting. Um, Good. So please join me in a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. Prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. In the spirit of carrying the essay message, this meeting is being broadcasted live, and this meeting is also being recorded, so everyone in the world can listen to us. Wow. That's scary. <laughs> we all need to laugh on that one. If you are not sure your share will be appropriate or on topic, please participate by listening. The broadcast and recording equipment will not be turned off for any reason. If you wish to share, please speak directly into the microphone so the listener can follow you. If you wish not to be recorded, we invite you to participate by listening or attending another session. Please do not touch any of the recording equipment. Okay, so then we start sharing, 10 minutes per person, and um, would you like to go first? Sure. Um, Good morning, everyone. Um, My name is Troy H., and I'm from San Antonio, Texas, and um, on behalf of San Antonio, welcome. We're really glad you guys are here. Um, This is a funny, obviously a funny topic. This is actually my first time to ever be at an international convention and my first time to ever speak at an international convention. So that in itself is kind of funny. Um, the, um, The interesting thing about laughing for me is that it's real for the first time in my life. Um, I think when I was a kid, really young, um, I do remember there being this unbridled laughter um, in my life, but um, that probably started shutting down around the age of eight or nine when um, I started to feel inadequate and had a lot of anxiety in my life and and subsequently found um, pornography in my home and was able to cope that way. And I learned at a really young age how to fake laughter. And faking laughter 
Um, I discovered when I got into recovery, it takes a hell of a lot of work. Um, it takes a lot of work to to try to laugh with people and um, attempt to feel like I'm belonging in the world. I, I caught myself laughing about things that I had no clue what I was laughing about many of the times because I was so anxious to be in a social setting or um, or um, sitting at the dinner table at home trying to trying to um, to actually. Um, um, not be scared of my parents and being able to laugh at the dinner table I found to be pretty hard because that was what I was supposed to do. So um, um, I don't know why I was asked to to um, speak on this topic other than the fact I tend to have the smile on my face all the time um, and I occasionally laugh. And um, I laugh at a lot of things. Um, one of the things I've learned um, is that it's important to laugh out loud. It's important for people to know how I'm feeling. Um, one of the things I, I kind of broke this down into three things, laughing in fellowship, laughing in sponsorship, and laughing in life. And when I think about laughing in fellowship, um, I think about how um, I was able to be a real human being and have true feelings and share those true feelings and emotions when I got into recovery. Um, one of the most fantastic things about the, the San Antonio group is it's an eclectic group of people. It's a relatively large group of, of men and women. And, and, and there's a, an absolute feeling of comfort and safety there. And, and as a result, what I've, what I've learned is that, is that there are so many crazy things that we do in recovery. Um, that it's hard not to laugh about. Um, one small story is there was a, f- a fellow in the fellowship. He and I um, were kind of in the fellowship at the same time. First year, we were both struggling. He called me one day and he goes, I just got this magazine from Japan. I'm like, huh? I just got this magazine from Japan and I can't open it. I go, well, why were you getting a magazine from Japan? Well, I kind of have this fetish about Japanese women. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, what are we going to do about this? I don't know. I want to open it. I said, well, why don't we do this? Meet me halfway down here at the mall, and we'll talk about it, and then maybe we'll decide that we're going to throw it in the dumpster. Well, the funny thing is that we actually did all this. It was Here I am, you know, 47 years old, hanging out with a 28-year-old guy, trying to figure out a way to, to go get rid of a Japanese porn magazine. And and it was funny, and we actually could laugh about it, and we actually celebrated throwing it in the dumpster. Well, he and I actually had this conversation a few weeks ago because I wanted to make sure he was okay with me sharing the story, and he had something to share with me. Hey, Troy, I never told you this, and this is three years later. I went back and got that magazine out of the dumpster. And instead of being incensed, I just laughed. And I thought it was the most amazing thing because, you know, I, I didn't worry about, well, I must have not done a good enough job of making sure that that magazine got in that dumpster and was buried deep in there. But I started asking these questions. You really went into the dumpster to get that magazine? I go, that was a huge dumpster. And um, he said, yeah, Troy, I really did. He goes, isn't it amazing the things we do in our addiction? We were able to laugh about it. In sponsorship, I have found that that's one of the most important things that I can do as a sponsor 
is try to help my sponsees get out of their heads. You know, I never laughed at myself when I was in my addiction. I couldn't. That was, you know, that was absolutely one of those things that you would never do is show a weakness by laughing at yourself. But what I, what I've been able to do as a sponsor, and this helps me so much, is, is being able to have a really serious conversation. And then at some point, there's a way to make light of that really, really, you know, serious situation. Um, it may be the situation itself. It may be, you know, uh, it may be where we are when we're having this conversation. You know, it's like, why would we, we, why are we sitting in a park, two men sitting in a park at a park bench, having a conversation about our fetishes? And, you know, there are all these crazy, there are all these normal people around us. And being able to laugh about those things. Um, you know, it's also one of those things that I believe laughter is, laughter has to be a habit. I think that for me, um, I was able to create a lot of really crazy habits in my life, so why can't I learn to have a, a habit of laughter? And, um, and so it, it, it works. Sometimes I have to make myself laugh. Sometimes I really do, especially in those, you know, those bad days. Um, and then with my sponsees, I'm like, we gotta cut ourselves a break, guys. You know, say you slipped again. You know, well, let's talk about the slip. Was there something funny about that? You know, or let's laugh about it. But let's move on. Let's move on. Um, the other thing is, is laughing in life. For me, um, this is the thing I struggle with the most. I have a 15-year-old son. And um, he knew I was going to be here. In fact, this is his first conference, and he um, he is an Essetine. And um, we were talking about, he's like, well, Dad, what are you going to do here? And I said, well, I don't, you know, it's my first conference. I'm really not 100% sure what I'm going to do here. I just know I need to be here, and I want to be here. And he goes, well, are you speaking? And I was like, yeah, I'm speaking at this thing called Laughing in Recovery. And he looked at me, he goes, you know what, Dad? I don't think I've ever heard you laugh. I was like, really? And this was this week. And um, and that is God. That's God working an incredible opportunity for me. Um, I want to be able to laugh in life. I can laugh with you guys. We can create memories. And the most important thing going forward for me is to be able to laugh with my family and laugh with my friends, too. You know, there's a, there's an incredible amount of safety that comes with being in this in this fellowship, and it's, it's safety that I never ever experienced in my life, and now I've got it. And um, and I think what God wants me to do is He wants me to take what I learned from this group, from this fellowship, take what I'm learning from from all the resources, the big book, the white book, the twelve and twelve, the meetings, and He wants me to practice here. And go out there and laugh in life. He wants me to be happy, joyous, and free. And you know, it took, it, it took my son saying that to me, um, this week just to realize that, that it is practice, not perfection. And that I get to cut myself a break. And I don't have to take myself too seriously anymore. And you know, I I now recognize just to, to end this is um, laughter also creates memories and memories create laughter and um, and in my addiction I don't have a lot of memories I have a lot of, of um, 
images and crazy crap in my head, but that's fading away in recovery. And 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 now there's the there are these moments where I can remember, you know, walking walking towards a dumpster with a Japanese porn magazine. Who in the heck would have ever thought that would have been me? Or being able to um, to to work with a sponsee to finally get that guy to crack a smile and not take himself so take himself so seriously seriously. And that's the neat thing about this program program is it reminds me that I get to do that stuff too. I don't just have to talk about it. I can do it and I can be it. And I in recovery, that's the only place it's going to happen. So that's all I got for you. Thanks. Hello, America and all the ships at sea. I'm John P., grateful recovering sexaholic, glad to be here. Um, when I heard the topic, I was a little taken aback, but I thought, you know, some of this stuff is funny. I mean, really, this, this program is about honesty and about acceptance, and you got to accept some of this stuff is hilarious. Right? I mean, we can't share it outside these rooms, but I mean, I, I look back and I just jotted down some notes of things that happened to me. And Well, first of all, I mean, we're told in the big book, uh, Tradition 4 in the 12 and 12, they talk about Rule 62 from a group, and they said, you know, don't take yourself too damn seriously. And that's the truth. Big book, page 132, the family afterward, we are not a glum lot. Boy, if I kept my seriousness that I had from from my disease, I'd be dead by now. This is it would kill me. Um, you know, but that doesn't mean I'm not serious about my program. And and I think as I went through these this list of things that I could remember, you know, every one of these people that were involved are in my program now or in my life in a serious way, and they've supported me. And I'll talk to you about that. I mean, the first meeting I went to, um, I. <laughs> I, of course, could not go to the meeting in my neighborhood because, God forbid, I might meet somebody that I know, and that was serious business. So I wandered through this um, uh, campus of hospitals that were being abandoned slowly, one by one, till only there was one building left where they had the meeting. And I think that might have been the only thing going on in that building, but I didn't know this. And I wandered through two or three blocks before I found the building, and I, I'm nervous, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm angry, and I'm all those feelings you have for the first meeting, and I don't know where to go, but I finally find the building, and I'm walking in, and I'm thinking, how do I find the right room and everything else? And I walk in, and there is only one person there, and that is a young, attractive female receptionist. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying, I'm going through my head, how am I going to handle this, you know, what should I say, how could I do it, and without a word, the woman looks at me and says, 12th floor. Because <laughs> she knew. <laughs> so I go up to the meeting, and, and they're locked out of the room, and they have to wait for a security guard, and I am appalled. I am waiting, I, I'm trying to figure out how to get back to the elevator to run out of here, and I get to the to the area, and they're all sitting on the floor, and they're all talking. And some of them are laughing. How could they do this? Don't they know how serious this is? And they're laughing. The guard comes up. Hey, fellas, how are you doing? Hey, good, Charlie, how are you? Come on, let me open the door for you. Oh, you're a little late today, Charlie. 
oh, I'm going to die. I'm just, I, I want to get out. I want to die. And you know what? I, I've learned that's, that's just me. That wasn't the room. It's not a serious uh, moment. It's, it's a moment of joy. And, and I think that's really what this stuff is kind of about. Um, you know, I had a good friend. I, I have a good friend in program, and he happened to show up at our meeting for some reason. I couldn't even tell you. And for some reason, uh, he and I got to talking. But before we did uh, the first few meetings, uh, our wives were meeting at an Essanon meeting several blocks away. So I would leave the meeting, drive my car over to the parking lot for the Essanon meeting, and wait for my wife. Well, it turned out he was doing the same thing, except I didn't see him, but he saw me. <laughs> After the third meeting, he came up to me and he said, uh, so uh, what are you doing? I said, excuse me? He says, I see you following me after the meetings. I'm just wondering, is there something I'm doing wrong? <laughs> so we ironed that out. And we've since become real long-term good friends. But, you know, the crazy uh, thing in my brain tells me that this, I'm paranoid, right? Um, you know, another time, uh, another good friend of mine in the program, I talk to him every day, uh, he came to his first meeting, and, and the, the meeting he came to is a tough meeting. It's, it's a tough meeting. Fifty, sixty people, they don't book any nonsense. And so he came, and he heard all of this, and he was duly impressed, and he went home to his house in Chicago, and he was, you know, ready to take action on the program, and he's wondering if this is for him, and gets up in the morning, goes outside to get his newspaper off the front stoop, and there, in front of his building, parked in a pickup truck, is one of the older members from the meeting. And he went back in the house and he said to his wife, my God, they've got patrols. <laughs> yeah, this is all true stuff. Um, the first time I, I was going to give away a lead uh, at an open meeting, you know, I talked to my sponsors. Is it okay? He said, sure. He said, you know, write it up and we'll talk about it. So I wrote it up and we read it to him and everything and changed a few things. And then he said, well, how do you feel about all this? I said, well, you know, I've got two feelings running through me. And he said, what's that? I said, well, one is I'm scared to death to get up in front of people, even though I'm Irish. <laughs> and I said, the other one is grandiosity. He said, well, I, I understand the fear, but grandiosity? And I said, well, sure, I must be better than all those people they asked me to speak, didn't they? <laughs> he didn't miss a beat. He looked me dead in the eye and said, they needed a sex drunk, and you were available. <laughs> um, another time, first convention in Chicago, and, uh, you know, they had a joint... Um, hospitality room. So my wife goes there looking for me, and um, I happen to be in another part of the room. She didn't see me, and it's essays and essanons. Well, being an outgoing person, she starts talking to a couple of SA people that go to the meeting that I go to on Wednesday night. And they, oh, who, who are you? Oh, hi, thank you. Yeah, my husband jumped. Oh, yeah, jumped. Yeah, I know jumped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, what meeting does he attend? Well, he goes to the Wednesday night meeting. And the first guy looks at the second guy and says, have you seen him at the Wednesday meeting? <laughs> <laughs> and they both started shaking their head. And my wife, just, you know, her face dropped. 
Now, you know, just kidding. But <laughs> she didn't think it was so funny. As my, as my therapist says, you know, unless both parties are laughing, it's not funny. <laughs> but um, to, to prove the point that this is, doesn't have anything to do with the program, a year and a half later, when I, I was riding the green line, as they call it, subway train to uh, my therapist's office because my wife and I had just had a physical altercation and I wanted to jump in front of the train and not ride on it. Um, I was calling every number I had and, and I reached him, Rich N. And I still see him to this day. And he saved my life that day because I, 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 didn't, I couldn't believe who I was from what I had done. But he loved me enough to get me to stay on the train and not jump in front of it and get to my therapist and, and keep moving forward. Um, <laughs> I had the wonderful service opportunity of chairing a convention a few years ago in Chicago. And uh, one of the people that helped us was a member who's here today and he's got lots and lots of sobriety. And he approached my wife and said, you know, I've got some friends that want to get one of the coins for the convention. They're not going to be here. They're in Ireland and England and all of this. And, and Barb said, well, yeah, you know, we've, we've got the coins up in our room. What's been left? And he said, great. Can I get together and, and get the coins? She said, sure. You know, I'll meet you up there at a certain time. So all that happens. And then my wife tells me later on, and it struck me. And I said to her, so you mean to say that you were alone in a hotel room with... Mike? <laughs> and she said, well, yeah. Nothing happened, of course. I said, oh, you don't understand. This is too good to pass up. <laughs> and later on that day, Mike approached me with an issue, and I, we talked about it very seriously. And I said, Mike, uh, and I stopped him. We were walking. And I said, Mike, uh, can I just ask you one thing? He said, sure. I said, is it true you were alone in our hotel room with my wife earlier? <laughs> And he said, oh, I, 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 <laughs> said, Mike, it's okay, it's all right, don't worry about it. I mean, funny stuff. And, and you know, here, here's a guy that uh, has saved my life spiritually more than once, I'll tell you that uh, as a fact, and uh, walk with him uh, every day. Um, um, his brother, uh, I, I go to an RE meeting, Rageaholics Anonymous, and, you know, we talk about our rage and our anger and trying to manage that. And I was talking to him the other night, and he said, uh, you know, we're talking about how long you've got a rage sobriety uh, date. And he said, well, you know, I've got seven years in this program. I said, wow, that's awesome. He said, well, that statistic has an asterisk on it. I said, what's that? He said, my wife passed away five years ago. <laughs> so lastly, i got two things to say. Uh, the last one is about my wife. I was overhearing her talking to an Essendon friend uh, one time, happened to be nearby, and I, and I hear this woman say to her, well, how, how have you stayed married to your husband? for 46 years, with him being a practicing sexaholic. And she thought for a moment, and then she said, you know, I guess the rocks in his head fit the holes in mine. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> and I'll leave you with this. How many sexaholics does it take to screw in a light bulb? <laughs> Only one. 
He holds the bulb and the world revolves around him. <laughs> how, many, how many sponsors does it take to screw in a light bulb? Just one, but the light bulb really has to want to change. <laughs> and how many SNONs does it take to screw in a light bulb? Oh, none. They just lovingly detach and let the bulb unscrew itself. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Hi there, I'm Howdy. I'm Marco. I'm a recovering sexaholic. I'm from Amsterdam, the Netherlands, and I have no clue why they asked me for to to lead this meeting. So uh, yeah, well maybe I had a bit of a clue. I, uh, I they they asked me to to lead a meeting. I said, oh sure, just um, just put me anywhere. It's fine. <laughs> So they put me, so they said, okay, can you lead the, the, the disclosure and marriage uh, meeting? I said, well, you just chose the one meeting. I'm not married. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe that's not the best meeting. Okay, we'll put you in, in, in loving and recovery. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. I usually begin, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm actually really grateful to, to throw it uh, to you, sir. <laughs> What's his name? John. John, sorry. <laughs> this happens when you don't know everyone here in the meeting for putting a bit of pressure for me uh, there. Because uh, I, I should say, uh, when I heard I had to meet this, uh, to lead this meeting, uh, and the breakout description here says, uh, have a various or funny appropriate course story to tell. This breakout is for you. Uh, so then I thought, oh gosh, <laughs> I have to perform. <laughs> So, so really, I, uh, I mean, and then I start obsessing, of course, because I'm a sexolic. So I, I didn't sleep very much uh, this night. I was basically kind of switching between thinking that you will throw tomatoes, rotten tomatoes, at me at some point, <laughs> or, or on the other end, basically have a standing ovation at the end. It's, oh, Marco, Marco, you're so funny. <laughs> you're so great. <laughs> so yeah. Well, that's my sexolic brain, uh, but actually that's exactly what it is about. Um, yeah, so um, I usually start with uh, a reading, and um, this is indeed, I mean, it was already mentioned before, from uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, page 132, uh, The Family Afterwards. Okay, so we have been speaking to you of serious, sometimes tragic things. Uh, we have been dealing with alcohol in its worst aspect, with lust in its worst aspect, we, but we aren't a glum lot. If newcomers could see no joy or fun in our existence, they wouldn't want it. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. We try not to indulge in cynicism over the state of the nation, nor do we carry the world's troubles on our shoulders. When we see a man sinking into the mire, that sexualism, we give him first aid and place what we have at his disposal. For his sake, we do recount and almost relive the horrors of our past. But those of us who have tried to shoulder the entire burden and trouble of others find we are soon overcome by them. So we think cheerfulness and laughter make for usefulness. Outsiders are sometimes shocked when we burst into merriment over seemingly tragic experience out of the past. But why shouldn't we laugh? We have recovered and we've been given the power to help others. Everybody knows that those in bad health and those who seldom play do not laugh much. 
So let each family play together or separately as much as the circumstances warrant. We are sure God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. We cannot subscribe to the belief that this life is a veil of tears, though it was once just death for many of us. But it is clear that we made our own history. God didn't do it. Avoid then the deliberate manufacture of misery, but if trouble comes, cheerfully capitalize it as an opportunity to demonstrate his omnipotence. So yeah, this is really a strong text, because indeed, laughing is recovery. Recovery is laughing. And uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm so grateful that when I came into SA, I really came into a group that was really a cheerful, uh, crazy, Group of, I mean, I still remember this. This is the, the group that I entered. And it could have been coming from a slapstick movie. I mean, they, they were so crazy. Uh, yeah, but that's exactly what I needed. I mean, I, I don't know what I, I, I didn't. I, I don't think I had any ideas of what to expect from from SA when I came in. But I surely didn't expect these bunch of crazy people. Uh, and uh, yeah, and I felt at home. I really felt at home. So, so it is important. Uh, <laughs> actually, I, I, my first meeting was in, in England, and then uh, after two months, I moved back to the Netherlands, where I'm, I'm from, from the Netherlands. So in my first meeting of Amsterdam, <laughs> I came in there, and there were three guys, and they were looking like this. No one talked to me, uh, being a newcomer. Uh, they were they completely chagrined. I was completely shocked. What is this? There, and it's really I'm so happy that I had experienced before from from England, uh, and I yeah, and I stayed. But I guess, oh man, this is this is horrible. <laughs> there, I should say we improved over time, <laughs> but we improved the recovery there because yeah, now we can see the joy of life, and uh, so so yeah. And, and now we are examples, and, and, and that's good. And it doesn't have to be, yeah, I was really thinking, oh, what kind of jokes can I make uh, during this, this session? But it's not about that. It can be small things. And I just, let, let me just share, share, share one, one simple thing. Just, just what happened an hour ago. I came back to my, uh, to my room, and uh, I saw that my roommate had spilled coffee on my notes, like, Translation committee notes, my my notebook. There, I mean, and I, I was I was there and I was looking at it and I, and I thought, well, I just think I, I know my roommate. He's a sexaholic, so I know he's somewhere here in the hotel, really getting worried about me getting angry at him. <laughs> so, so yeah. Uh, just that thought <laughs> just made me laugh. But there, yeah, that's 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 amazing. And and I know, I mean, seven years ago, I would have been basically kind of exploded, like, oh, this is good to been doing this to me, and and now it's it's all okay. And <laughs> you know, yeah. So uh, and yeah, and, and this is indeed about acceptance. Taking the, taking myself not so seriously, taking others not so seriously. Uh, we do make mistakes. We are all sexaholics. So yeah, that, that's that's all fine. Let's see how am I doing with my time. Actually, not sure. There, I see him. The few yeah, three two three minutes, I believe.
Um, actually, um, so I, 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 in the three minutes that I have, I, I do want to make a little bit of a, 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 a caution about, about Lutter in, in, in recovery because I had also had some bad experience there. And also with, I think with myself, I, I, at some point, I really got uh, a fellow pretty upset because we were making jokes in, in, uh, outside of meeting. And, um, of course, my first thought is, oh, man, this boring guy, right? This, uh, yeah, it's his problem. But uh, I, I, I later started to think about it. And the reason that he got upset is that basically we started making jokes about, about, about lust, about lusting. Uh, and um, making jokes about my, my craziness in recovery, I think, is, is totally appropriate. Making jokes about acting out, you have to be very careful there. And, um, yeah, and, um, because it can be a way of lusting for myself, making, making lustful jokes actually there. Uh, it can be part of the disease. Uh, so, so yeah, so I, I, I recognize myself, I, I have to be careful. And I, I, I can also see it actually with, with newcomers, I, I should say, and usually in a meeting, I go out of a meeting better than I come in, but there have been meetings where I came out worse than I came in, and that was because there were a few drunk people that were basically kind of making lust jokes and kind of boasting their, their way of acting out. I don't think that's uh, appropriate. So, um, so that's, that's the only warning. I think there's, there's a risk of being being um, making jokes, you have to be a little bit careful and and uh, and um, yeah, just be, make sure that you're not basically acting out your lust through jokes. That's the only thing. But um, well, here in this meeting, actually, we have this order of of uh, of, of sharing in terms of of, uh, of of time of sobriety. The people with five years first. So um, yeah, so maybe that's that's a good thing actually. There, I should say I, 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 I thought they should ask Harvey for this meeting. Every time when Harvey comes in, I already have to laugh when I see this guy. So, so, uh, so yeah. But uh, well, let's 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 see if there are people here that have good experiences. And uh, if you have a joke, that's that's fine. Uh, so um, let's stop the sharing and, and start reading uh, what we have here. Okay. Okay, here are the guidelines for sharing at this meeting. If you would like to share, please come up ahead of your turn and make a line there by sitting in the sign chairs up front. Uh, and if you come up for share, you actually have to come here to the table because, um, as I said, this is broadcasted all over the world there. So, um, yeah. Um, okay, in sharing, we ask that members of five years or more of sobriety share first then one to four years, then if time allows, others will be invited to share so as to focus on the solution. When it is your turn to share, please speak clearly so that everyone can hear you. Participation, we avoid topics that can lead to dissension or distraction. We also avoid explicit sexual descriptions and sexually abusive language. The emphasis is on honesty, recovery, and healing, how to apply the 12 steps and 12 traditions in our daily lives. No crosstalk, please. If someone feels another is getting inappropriately explicit or is focusing excessively on the problem rather than on the solution, they may so signify by quietly raising their hand. Although this is an anonymous meeting, please remember that anonymity does not mean legal confidentiality. 
Please do not share any fel felony for which you have not been ad adjudicated, else we will be required to inform law officials to protect the injured. Please be mindful of what you share to not break your own or another member's anonymity. So people with five years or more can come and share their experience about laughter in recovery. Yeah, should we put a time on it? If we... How much? Two? One? How much time do we have? Two minutes? Two minutes? Oh, I think a bit longer. Three minutes. Good morning, my name is Mike. I'm a sexaholic. Hi. I'm from San Antonio, and my sobriety date is September 5th, 2011. Um, I've always been, you know, I've sort of always prided myself at being quick witted. And, and sometimes it gets me into, often has gotten me into trouble, and often I'll blurt something out without really thinking. And when I came to my first SA meeting, I was scared to death. I was crying, and I was, you know, I was, I was really scared, as, as I'm sure a lot of people were. So it took a lot for me to go back to my second meeting. And, and no sooner had I walked in the door than someone who had seen me the week before came up to me and said, Hey, John, right? And I said, no, no, it's Mike, actually. And they said, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I said, that's okay, I've been a John. <laughs> and that's the reaction I got. I just blurted it out, and I immediately realized, oh, crap, should I have said that? But they laughed. And in that moment, I knew I was going to be okay. That it was a, it was an accepting room. That the people were going to accept me, that they were going to support me, they were going to love me. Even if I was my jerk self, they were, it was okay. And, you know, as I said, I've, I've always kind of prided myself on my sense of humor. But what I've come to discover, what I've come to realize is that I tended to use humor as a weapon. I tended to use humor as a way to get at people, to, to hurt them, to, to, to insult them, but I'm just kidding. It doesn't really, it doesn't really count. I'm just kidding. Um, and then, um, but what I've, what I, I've learned to cut myself some slack with humor. So now when I, when I see a, a pretty woman and I want to look a second time, I don't think I'm a monster. I'm a horrible person. I'm, 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 there's, I'm, I'm hopeless. What I say to myself now is, yeah, still a sex addict. And, uh, I kind of cut myself some slack. So that's it. Thank you. Do a side joke. I'm Dave. I'm a recovering sexaholic in Nashville, or Franklin, Tennessee, actually. And uh, there are so many, but uh, the one that really jumps out at me because it's shared now with my spouse is uh, after being uh, so single and sober for about ten years, I was engaged. Uh, my sponsor. I'll tell two stories. Uh, my sponsor had walked me through my dating process and sobriety. And uh, I knew I was going to marry her. I'm trying to figure out how to ask her. And uh, so I call him up. It's uh, She had called me before Christmas and said, I just want to get something out there. Am I going to see a ring at Christmas? And I said, no. And she said, okay, I just... 
she knew one was coming. We, you know, we, we were headed in that direction. And, uh, so I called, called Harvey in January. I said, you know, Valentine's Day is so cliche. I, you know, I just don't see it happening on Valentine's Day. He said, David, I do not want to speak to you again until you're engaged. And he hung up the phone. <laughs> so, so that's number one. That, I've, I've always looked back on that and, yeah, enough was enough, and uh, we've been married for 21 years, so um, that's a good story. Um, the second one is uh, I moved to Nashville in 1988, and uh, um, this is 1989. Uh, uh, we had two meetings at that time, and this is uh, at uh, 8 o'clock, Glendale Baptist Church in, in Nashville, and we had a breakout meeting. It was a newcomer's meeting, and one of our New guys, uh, was leading his first breakout meeting and, uh, you know, so we, we broke out and, uh, uh, as we all tend to do when we do newcomers meeting, we all talk too long. And it's about, it's about ten till nine when we're, and we, we're, we're gonna end at nine and we, we turn it over to the newcomer and he starts telling his story. And it went on and on. And I'm looking at Jimmy, and he's turning wider and wider. We're hearing the other group saying the Lord's Prayer in the other room. It it, it got to about 9:05, and 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 the guy said, "Then in 1972," and I <laughs> and I said, "Clay, I'm going to have to stop you right there. You know, um, thank you for your share. I think you qualify. Please keep coming back." Uh, <laughs> We got to get out of there, and uh, unfortunately, I never saw Clay again. But in Nashville, when somebody says, "Then in 1972, we know it's time to shut up." <laughs> I'm Tim Grayfuller, recovering sexaholic. By the grace of God in this wonderful program, I've been sexually sober since May 15, 2010. When I came into this program, there wasn't a whole lot to actually be uh, laughing at. I can look back now and it's humorous, but at the time it was way too serious. I was uh, crying in a lot of the meetings. In fact, actually one of the things when I, I started sharing, being honest about my past, one of the things that my first sponsor told me, he says, Tim, don't go into all the detail about what you did in your past. It might scare some of these essays away. And I was like, how is this possible? I was scared to come to the meetings in SA because I thought they were all going to be a freak show. And so I was like, this is just kind of co- contradictory. How does this work? One of the things when I was dating, it just happened to ring a bell, I finally got brave enough to date. I had been divorced for a number of years. I had been sober for a couple of years. And finally I got brave enough to start dating. I started dating in sobriety. And one of the things that I had said is a bottom line is i got to tell the person that I'm dating within the first five dates that I'm a registered sex offender, that I'm going to essay, these are the, the steps that I'm working, this is what I'm doing in recovery, this is how I'm going to recover, this is a reality for my life for the rest of my life. And it was a real serious business. So I started dating, and some of the people I'd, I'd tell, some on the first date, they're like, oh yeah, this, I'm glad you told me uh, we can't continue dating because of X or whatever. And uh, interestingly enough, I met my my current wife, and I was also dating another lady. 
I'd actually been dating a number of them. That's kind of a dangerous thing as a sexaholic, but I was dating. I had actually been singing in a choir, and I actually invited... Uh, I had forgotten that I had invited both of them to come to my choir concert. <laughs> this became a little bit challenging. I sang. I saw both of them sitting next to each other down in the audience. As I came down, I was like, how in earth is this going to work? And so I sat down in between both of them, and one held my right hand and one held my left hand. (laughs) Now, a good way to qualify who your wife is, is the one that survives. And uh, interestingly enough, while I was up there singing, they were both bantering back and forth trying to convince the other one that they shouldn't marry me. So that was kind of a good sign. But the nice thing is, is uh, my wife and I look back on that now and we can laugh, but man, at the time I was just like going, this has got to be the worst situation on the planet and I am not going to survive this situation. One of the other comical situations uh, in recovery, always the problems in the, the addiction will find me, lust will find me. I had the brilliant plan starting my own business and I needed to get a magazine to start, I thought. And I had a company that called me up and says, oh yeah, we can get that for you. And it happened to be one of these magazine companies that like to send you everything but. And interestingly enough, I found out three years later that they actually couldn't send me the magazine. They didn't even have it. So I was spent the next several years becoming very proficient at finding and canceling magazine subscriptions. By the grace of God, just before the uh, one of the porn magazines hit my uh, my mailbox, I actually was able to get a hold of the right person, and that was the last thing they, that I heard from them is, oh, by the way, weren't you looking forward to this porn magazine showing up? And I was like, yeah, oh, wait, no, that, no, 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 not a good idea. Please don't send it to my house. That might be a problem. So anyway, grateful recovering sexaholic, glad to be here today, and grateful for the laughter. It's, it's a godsend in my life because there's so many serious things. They go on in my life every single day. The consequences of my life are real. Laughter is also real and a great therapeutic uh, opportunity for myself. Great, great to be here. Feel free to grab a seat up front here if you want to come on up and talk. Everybody, my name is Jim D. from Boston, Grateful Recovering Sexholic. Uh, my sobriety date is uh, September 1st, 1996. And it, the folks who were talking about Nashville, I remember going to a meeting there a few years ago. My wife had um, and I were just having a great time in Nashville, and I was going to go off to this meeting. And I didn't never been to this where this meeting was. Um, not sure. Yeah, I won't say where it is, but uh, it's on the other side of the highway. And across, I'm going to this meeting. And as I get to the highway in this neighborhood that I've never been in, um, over by Music Row, and there's a, a place that I didn't need to be, need to see, on the way there. So, uh, strip club. So, I was in recovery. I'm going to this place, and I'm like, there was construction. So, I couldn't walk on the other side of the other road and keep going to where I wanted to go on the meeting. I had to... Like, it would have been dangerous to walk in the middle of the road, oncoming traffic, to avoid this place. So I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? What's the plan here? I have to walk past this place? You know, it was early morning. It was I wasn't tempted, but I just thought was able to see the comedy and, and keep walking. When I got to the meeting, I remember a guy, I don't know if he was 
what part of the meeting he was, you know, sharing a story or something. And at the end or at the beginning, he said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm unique. I'm just like everybody else." <laughs> um, I thought that was funny. And then the other thing that happens, I was curious about what everyone else thinks about this too, and maybe talk about it afterwards. Is you know, this, the program is so serious in in certain ways, but like I don't want to spend my whole day reading the white book. I need to have some, you know, different things, comedy, find comedy. So I'm curious, like, how other people uh, find comedians or, or books or entertainment. There's so many triggers out there. So I'll just share that probably my favorite movie of all time is, is What About Bob? Because there's no lust in there. There's no anything. I don't know if anyone's seen this movie, but I'll just kind of do one little spoil thing. There's a scene in there where Bob, who's played by Bill Murray, is, you know, this neurotic guy, and he's at in the therapist chair or whatever um, and he's actually he's taken over kind of like in the psych ward just charmed all the, the therapists and everything he's up there telling this joke about a guy in a therapist office and a, and a patient and the therapist says well I want you, I'm going to write down some things here and I want you to tell me what you think so the therapist writes down a picture of a rock and the guy goes Bob says that makes me think about sex Okay, here's a here's a tree. What do you think about sex? Here's this, 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 and this. What do you think? Sex, sex, sex. And the guy therapist says, I think you may have a problem with sex. And he goes, you're the one drawing all the dirty pictures. Good morning. I'm Craig. I'm a sexaholic. And um, I've got a lot of stories, but these two really are really good for me. Um, two newcomer stories. Um, so I used to handle the hotline here in San Antonio for newcomers like four or five years ago, and uh, we'd get a lot of different calls and a lot of different stories why they wanted to come into our fellowship. Um, one story was a gentleman called and he said, um, I have a really big problem with masturbation. And I said, okay, um, I think you need to come into a meeting and so I, I read off all the meetings. At the time, we had about 10 or 12 meetings here in San Antonio. And I said, well, we have meetings pretty much every day. Some are at 6 o'clock in the morning. Some are at 7 o'clock in the morning. Some are at 6.30 on Saturday at 7.30. Um, pretty much every day. So please feel free to, you know, let me know which ones are available for you. He said, I can't make any of those meetings. I get out of work at 7, I go to work at 6, I can't really make any other meetings. I said, well, you have to really come to meetings um, in our fellowship for you to get into a recovery program. And I said to him, so let me, let's talk about this masturbation problem. Um, how, many, how often do you masturbate? He said, well, I, I masturbate about eight times a day. And I, and I said, well, what, you know, how do you, how do you do that? Well, I masturbate at six o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning, <laughs> six thirty, I masturbate at work, and I'm thinking, you know, he can't come to a meeting because all he's doing is masturbating all day. And I said, he's a prime candidate for our fellowship. Um, it, you know, and so I'm, I'm trying to hold it in, guy. I was trying to not, not laugh on the phone. And, and so I said, why don't you, why don't you come in anyway? Sometimes just come in. He says, I can't make it. <laughs> Three months later, he calls and he, and he says, 
I think I can come to one of your meetings. I said, why? He said, instead of masturbating six or eight times a day, I'm only masturbating three times a day now. <laughs> I was, that was really funny. One other quick, one other quick story. Um, and this may be not totally correct, so, you know, um, God has a sense of humor. Uh, uh, this, uh, I think it was either a lady or a gentleman came into our fellowship uh, and said, um, I have a pornography problem. I have all these DVDs at home. And I said, you know, to the person, um, I can't just, I can't remember the person. Uh, I said, you know, you need to get rid of all your DVDs. All of them. He said, I have hundreds of them, you know. So they said, okay, I'll get rid of them. They come back to next week. I got rid of my, my, my DVDs and I said, okay, you got rid of all of them? He said, no, I only kept one. I got rid of all of them except one. I said, why'd you leave that one? I said, just in case I needed it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. We still have four minutes. Anyone wants to share? Hi, my name is Tom. I am a recovering sexaholic. So the thought occurs to me, um, using laughter as a tool for recovery. Uh, so I thought I'd come in and share a little bit uh, of my experience. Um, early on in recovery, my sponsor taught me about this uh, idea of bookending triggery situations. Um, and, and he explained to me, he says, what you need to do is if you find yourself going to something triggery, uh, give me a call and let me know what, what you're going through, what you're feeling. And, and then when you get done, um, give me a call back. Let me know how you did. Uh, and I thought, oh, well, okay, so I can do that. Um, I didn't want to do that. I mean, how many of us listen to our sponsors? <laughs> so anyway, back in 1972, um, <laughs> no. <laughs> so... I surrendered uh, to his suggestion and decided that I would do that. Now, in my job, I have to go to triggery situations, um, many places that, gee, many sexaholics talk about acting out in. Um, so I thought, okay, I can do that. So one of the places that I need to go to in my job, now I live in a resort area, um, and there's a lot of resorts. Some of them are questionable clothing optional. So I practiced exactly what he told me to do. I called him up. I said, sponsor, I'm going into a clothing optional resort to work on some equipment. I will call you as soon as I get done. He goes, so when do you think that'll be? So I said, well, if I don't call back in four hours, don't come looking for me because I'm already <laughs> out there. The reality is, is I called him back about an hour later and I told him how I went through it and what I was feeling and, and shared with him my triggers. And by golly, it worked for me. Um, that was almost 20 years ago. And I still call somebody every time I have to go into a triggery situation um, because that's what I was taught to do and it worked. So laughter can be used also for, at least it has been for me, for as a tool for my recovery. Um, thank you for letting me share. <laughs> you got time for one more. 
Actually, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I'm Keith. I'm a sexaholic and here in San Antonio. This one is, is on me. Um, it happened really before I came into these rooms, before I identified myself as a sexaholic. But it shows how big the problem was way before I even thought or even knew what, about what sexaholism was. Uh, back in the, um, in the 80s, 90s, we had three kids. And uh, we were done, we thought. Uh, we were on vacation in Florida. Uh, my wife had missed a period or two. So she was deathly afraid that she was pregnant. And we just couldn't enjoy the vacation, so she went and found a doctor somewhere that would give a pregnancy test, found out she wasn't pregnant, dodged that bullet. Came back to San Antonio, literally almost the first phone call I made was to a urologist to schedule myself for a vasectomy, because I didn't want to go through that kind of panic again. Had the vasectomy, doctor said, you know, you're good, everything went fine, um, uh, just wait a while, you know, take a couple, three months for things to kind of clear out because you don't want to go have unprotected sex because you may, you know, there's still some, some stuff in the system. So he's thinking I'm going to call him back in about three months or so. I called him back in 10 days. In the minute that I made the phone call, because I had been masturbating profusely, I mean, I just, you know, that was just my habit. Uh, I called, made the appointment, walked into the office, and he said, what are you here for? And I said, I'm here for my follow-up exam. And he just kind of looked at me like, what? You've had that many emissions in a week or 10 days? And it was just, you know, the minute I said, I should not have made this appointment. I should have waited. But uh, anyway, thanks. Okay, excellent. Thank you, everyone, for this uh, joyful uh, meeting. Okay, in closing, anything you have heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participants. The principles of SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. Remember that we never identify ourselves publicly with SA in the press, radio, TV, or films, or internet. Neither does anyone speak for SA. This is an anonymous program. Please keep the name, address, and phone number of anyone you meet or learn about in SA to yourself. The shares we have heard here were told in confidence. Please do not repeat what you have heard about another member to anyone who was not actually here at this meeting at the time that it was shared. Please, what we say here, when we leave here, let it stay here. Here, here. Okay, then uh, let's close everyone with the third step prayer. Shall we all have old hands? Stand up and hold hands. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.